Hello, everyone listening in. Uh, this is the Do Jiu-Jitsu podcast, where we talk to great individuals of all sorts of backgrounds that have one thing in common, and that is that they do jiu-jitsu. My name is Jay, and I'm your host. And today is podcast number three. We have Professor Doyle. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, he, he's the owner and head professor of the Wolf's Den Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Southgate, California. And he's just one of the toughest people I know. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have him on here. Uh, so thank you again, Professor, for taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure, man. Glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. So uh, first question, Professor. Um, how did you get introduced to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? It's a funny story because I was a judoka first. I had got my black belt young and had been training. I'd wrestled, so I'd done uh, freestyle. I'd done Greco-Roman and AAU. So I had this kind of a pretty strong grappling background. But my hmm. kids were looking to have extracurricular activities. And so I happened to run into um, uh, Master Carlos Gracie Jr. when they had a hmm. tiny, tiny little place. And like literally there was maybe 10 people training little tiny spot and this mm. actually grew out to be uh 1200 uh schools for gracie baja that was his original space they hadn't been here very long uh marcio fetosa was there all these legendary people training in this little tiny place and uh, they were doing mm. some kids so my kids started training in them. that was my entree into brazilian jiu-jitsu i knew of it and i'd been around other people that did it but that was the place where i was like well i want to get them going on a grappling art as youngsters and then meeting those guys started training with those guys and then the outgrowth was that i kept on training and training and training and training mm -hmm. wow so you were able to see um the uh, gracie baja from its uh very roots then for sure yeah it's a strange thing because they're in california here there's a there's a headquarters for the u.s operations of gracie baja and i think it's the international headquarters and it's gigantic two levels and uh and like watching it grow and grow and you're like you know you'd see like some of their world champions go off they'd open a new school but just to watch it grow to 1200 schools is nuts mm -hmm. it's so strange because like i couldn't it, it was uh no bigger than my living room when it started mm -hmm. and uh you know they were they were making a hard go of it i mean it was hot yeah. no air conditioning you know i mean it was tough times but it just kept growing and growing and they've done a really good job and the one thing i always you know i in the jujitsu community i hear the word make dojo thrown around a bunch mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh the one thing if i ever am in the conversation i'll stick up for gracie baja and the reason i'll say that is because at their core their fundamental ideas are really great it's that mm -hmm. i want i want it to be a place where a lot of different people can come so a hobbyist can come a child can come, a woman can come, an overweight man can come, somebody with no grappling experience, and they all have a good experience. But then also there is an elite level and elite fighters out there, as you saw with Pena fighting the other night, a Gracie Baja mm -hmm. guy, homegrown, and he's at that elite level. So the ranges in there are all over the place. So if you have the opportunity to be able to give that to the community, I don't mm -hmm. think of it as a bad thing. I think of it as a good thing because I don't think that everybody, and, and this is a fact, everyone is not going to be a champion. Mm -hmm. And if you, if that's what you try to push on people, you just make them unhappy and sad for their failure. So making mm -hmm. a place where there's a slot for all these different experiences is a good idea. And, you know, like as you steal things from other people, that's something that I've stolen from them. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea that you should have somebody that isn't physically gifted it doesn't come mm. naturally to them but they come they explore this this art they make friends they have an experience that's uncommon and build this bond and join a community i think it's a cool uh -huh. thing and i like that yeah wow wow when you were um getting started uh their professor um yeah so you 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 wanted to start it um because you wanted your kids to have some extracurricular activity and you used to do uh uh you used to be a judoka and you used to wrestle what did it feel like to uh start something new uh do you remember those feelings of starting just jujitsu yeah i do um i think one of the things that is hard especially if you're an elite 
judoka or a wrestler, the hardest thing, and I've seen it over and over with other people as well, is it's so hard to shut the door on those skills and to mm. open the door and rely on only the new skills that you're learning. You get into a troublesome spot and you have some go-to things that you do. And they're not necessarily jujitsu. And they may just be, if, if you're a wrestler, explosive and speedy. And, you know, you rely on that. But when you can find a way to change and go towards, I am now doing only jujitsu. It's a real strange change. Mm -hmm. And I think it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I've noticed that there are some people who just never really are able to make the change because mm -hmm. it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, you know, what do they say? If you, if you can't, if you can't, if you can't allow yourself to feel like a fool, you'll never get good at anything. But that doesn't mm. mean that you only have to do that once you have to do it often, right? You may be great as a wrestler and you may be top tier, but if you can't settle down and start thinking about the precision of motion, as opposed to the explosiveness, and you can't think about the technique as opposed to flipping through and smashing emotion, it makes it very hard to get good. So like, I think that that's kind of like generally all of us that were good at something else, especially grappling related, mm -hmm. it's very hard to like come in, be not good and get subbed mm -hmm. and get subbed and get subbed mm -hmm. and swept. And then to be able to go, okay, I'm going to stop doing all of the stuff I have gotten good at over, you know, 10 years. I'm going to stop doing that stuff and I'm only going to do this. And I think if you can't humble yourself, it's a long process. If you can find mm. a way to humble yourself, it's still a long process, but it leads you to the right spot. But I do know some people that get stuck at blue belt where they just never able to say, mm, I'm going to only do jujitsu. And it's a weird thing because you know, the feeling when you have somebody come in and they're off the street and mm -hmm. you're trying to do jujitsu with them, but they're not playing jujitsu. They're playing mm. whatever they can think of. Right. So mm -hmm. your idea of, Oh, I'd like to get a kimura on this person. And then they do something completely weird that you're not expecting at all. It makes it hard to get the kimura. So mm -hmm. as you think about that, you're that guy. And if you're that guy that's doing random, strange stuff, you're not learning, but you're also making it hard on your partners. So mm -hmm. that was the one thing I, I personally really struggled with because I was good at other stuff. And some of it was connected. Some of it was related, but it wasn't the same thing. So I found myself having to really have a conversation with myself and say, I am going to stop everything that I know how to do. And now I'm going to begin this new journey, but it wasn't comfortable. And it was a, there was some times when I was like super frustrated because like uh -huh. I could beat you if I just got powerful and if I got fast uh -huh. and if I got snappy with my motion, but I didn't really win. I was actually stealing from myself and from my partner. And that's, that's, I like, that's coming in with the skill and making a change. That's the hard part. Uh-huh. Definitely, definitely. Because you have to um, unlearn so much of the things that you've learned in the past, right? To make way for, uh, some, for some, new, for some uh, new skills. And I'm a big believer in like, if you have those things that you're good at, say you mm -hmm. are a good wrestler and you've got, you've got some great takedowns. If you could park that skill set and you could leave it for a little while and get mm -hmm. good at guard pulling and you can get good at jujitsu specific positions, but then at any time you could start to redrill some of those wrestling positions. And once you're mm -hmm. good at the jujitsu, drop in some of that stuff It's very effective. You know, it is mm -hmm. very effective, but you should, you should try to close the door on those skills and get good at the other skills. And if you can, then they work symbiotically and then they mm -hmm. work well together. And often, you know, if you're, if you're a judoka and your idea is, you know, I want to get in, but all of your throws or roll through throws, you're going to end up on your back a lot. So it would mm -hmm. be not a great idea. You'll have to modify your takedowns, your throws to accept that your partner's going to be trying to swivel into guard halfway through the throw as, as opposed to, oh, well, I'm just going to make a throw, get my epon, and mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. over. It's not over. So, but if you could take those skills, parlay them into changing a little bit to suit your new well now that's beautiful they work together very well and i think that that was for me being able to shelve a lot of the things that i did and stop doing what i was already good at and start doing what i wasn't good at i think that was hard and i think i've seen it be hard for other people too
Mm -hmm. It sounds like you had to, you had a shift in mindset there where you had to kind of park your ego uh, in order for you to make way for uh, some um, new learning. At what stage were you able to uh, do that? Because that's a very mature, um, that's a very mature step towards, um, towards any, like any new skill. Like we always, um, we, we should always expect to be bad at something uh, if it's our first time doing it. Right. Uh, and uh, if, if when you come from a background like wrestling and judo, it's so hard not to like use those skills. Um, what's your, what's your advice on um, the ego there and how can you, how can you do the thing that you did? <laughs> well, I think if you like a lot of things, recognition, right? If you mm -hmm. realize that I've recognized that this is not suiting my big goal, right? My mm -hmm. big goal is not mm -hmm. to be the king of this round on the mat in my own home gym. Or if I, if I can say my goal is not to be the best in my gym, but be good in my region. If I could say that my goal is not to win these rounds, but my goal is to learn in these rounds and to grow my skill set, mm -hmm. then it becomes a little bit more palatable, right? It becomes mm -hmm. easier to take. But if your goal is to say, hey, man, we're about to slap hands, bump fists, and we're fighting, and I'm going to win, and I tapped you, and I did it really aggressively and really fast, and I did it very sloppy, but I still won. And if you feel like that was a win, and that's your that's how you feel, you might be missing something important. But mm -hmm. if I got really tricky and I got really smooth and I got really technical and I did two or three things and tricked you into doing something and I got the sub, then I feel like, all right, now I've learned something and I can use that again and again and again. And if I could repeat that process with other moves, well, then, then I feel like if I make that my goal set and I make that what I'm looking for, that's when I say, okay, I've learned something that goes forever. Mm hmm. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you were able to have clear goals whenever you were coming in um, and um, coming into practice. And then you were able to uh, identify the problems that you were solving and made sure you didn't tolerate them. Uh, well, and, and you, also, yeah. I'm a big dude, too. Right. So uh -huh. I'm a physically big dude. And I had this background. So I will. Uh -huh. Let me admit to you right now. I did when I was being paired with people, see the look on their face when they got paired up with me originally in the beginning of like, oh man, right? This guy. And, <laughs> right, this guy. So like I, you know, at a certain point I had to have a conversation with myself and I started to recognize, oh man, I'm not an enjoyable partner, right? Mm. I'm not a person who is making their roles fun. And uh -huh. I am also not reaping the benefit of this experience the way that I should. So I, I, at a certain point, I actually did have to stop myself and I had to look and say, all right, I could see the look on this guy's face that they just partnered me up with. And, uh, I know that it's not happy. <laughs> and so uh -huh. I had to say, all right, well, if I turn it down to 50% and if I can start to learn how to, how to do this, I'm going to be better for them and help them learn. Mm -hmm. And I'll be better for me because I will be there. But it wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Ego is a real, it's a real hindrance, but it's also your friend. So you have to mm. treat it as such. My ego is not a bad thing. It mm. drives me towards a lot of good things, but I can't let it be the sole arbiter of my decision-making. Mm -hmm. right? I have to make an intellectual decision to say, I'm here to do a certain process, to learn a certain set of moves, to move in a certain way. But if ego is the only thing that's making me make decisions, it'll be the wrong, it'll be the wrong path. But if I can use my ego to push me towards learning, well, then it's a good thing. And then later, your ego is not a bad thing. So mm -hmm. I've always heard of jujitsu, ego, kill your ego, leave it at the door. Mm -hmm. I understand mm -hmm. the theory behind it, but I don't think that that's realistic. We all drag it around with us. Mm -hmm. I see. I see. That's a really, uh, that's a really good perspective. Um, at what point were you uh, thinking that, oh, um, I'm, I'm committing to Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu because it's a very long journey. Um, what, at what point uh, or what made you commit to doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu? You know, having been on a path before of being an athlete, um, you know, from the time I was very little, I started training early and mm -hmm. uh, 
my dad was actually a black belt in judo. So like, mm. you know, I had this long, so once I started training, um, it wasn't very long until I had decided, all right, I'm going to start this journey, but I didn't think, oh, I'm going to become a black belt. But I did say to myself, I'm going to throw myself headlong into learning here. But I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the rise through belt ranks. What I did spend a lot of time thinking about was I'm going to go five or six times a week and I'm going to get good at this. But I didn't really have a feeling of like, oh, no stripes. And I'm going to immediately, my first thought was, well, I'm going to get a black belt. Because I don't know that I think that that's really realistic. Life is complicated. Um, injuries, family, job, life circumstances, mm. they get in the way. But if I don't make my, my goal only black belt, but if I say, hey, I'm going to invest myself in this and I'm going to get really good, the process occurs over a long time. So, but if my focus is a little bit more narrow, I think it's easier to just say, well, I don't feel like training today. It's five o'clock. Mm -hmm. I had a hard day at work. <laughs> I don't feel like going and sweating. I don't feel like going, getting roughed up. And I don't feel like going and losing again. If I just mm -hmm. say, well, I don't, but I'm going anyway. The mm -hmm. process occurs all by itself. Does that make wow. sense? Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah tell me a, a little bit about like what in what ways has uh jujitsu then uh translated in your personal life and like how has uh jujitsu shaped your uh mindset and how you tackle problems you know i think it's uh i think it's a tremendous benefit um but i don't think that it's only jujitsu the joke out there mm -hmm. is jujitsu saved my life uh -huh, uh -huh. And, and i think it's true to the degree that any intense effort that's very hard very long and requires you to not only intellectually and emotionally but physically give yourself to this process you're making these decisions over a long time right mm -hmm. and if you say well how would that relate to my work right well mm -hmm. i go to work and i really think about the processes that i'm learning at work and i try to enact them and even though i don't feel like being there I want to do them well. Like the bleed off from your experience in jujitsu can be, it can be, it can be holistic in your life if that's the way you approach it. But if you just approach it and you say, it's five o'clock, ready to smash, mm -hmm. well, that's probably not going to really be a gigantic mm -hmm. benefit to you. But if you go, well, it's five o'clock, I'm excited to learn some new stuff. I'm excited to see if I can do that thing that I've been trying to do that I can't do and I keep on failing, but I'm going to try again. That's where I feel like systemically you can become a better person by utilizing that philosophy for not only jujitsu, but the rest of your life. And I think that it's kind of unavoidable. If you really are thinking about your life like that, your jujitsu mm -hmm. life like that, I think it pushes out to the rest of the things you tackle. So you have an interaction with somebody that's negative and your mm -hmm. idea would be, well, here's my first reaction. I'm going to push back hard. But if I take some of the principles I've learned from jujitsu, what's the reaction? They'll push back, right? So if I just think about it in relative terms, even without trying, it just becomes natural. It's like, eh, well, the first action is not to push hard. Push at, uh, find the angle and develop this physical relationship with somebody or an intellectual relationship with somebody where my first action isn't a push. That's the way I would say mm, that might be a real benefit to you as a human being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The way you're able to reframe uh, situations and see it uh, in a different light. Uh, yeah. Wow. That makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what, so a lot of um, you've, you've seen a lot of uh, student transformations and um, mm -hmm. your the head uh you're you're the head coach uh you're the head professor uh in uh your gym and uh one of the things that you do is uh you promote people from uh different belt stages so um a lot of people are curious uh, what are the differences between the belt stages in jujitsu and what do they what do they mean that's yeah, a good question because i think a lot of people are confused that that the belt progression is like 
the finish line of a race, right? There'll be one finish line and then there'll be another finish line and there'll be another finish line. So mm-hmm. I'm going to sprint for like two years and get to blue belt and lean forward. And whew, I got there. Right. And a lot of white belts feel like that's the place I got to get. I got to get to the blue belt. Right. Mm. Um, but I don't think about, and I try to encourage people not to think about it like that. What I consider important is that if you're very technical, you're a technician, right? You understand leverage, position, timing, and then the chess game that is involved in all of those things of trying to, to lure your opponent to make the action that is best for you. So if I was a white belt, and if I was very, very tricky, but I had not been promoted, but I was getting good at those things, those things, they're not quantifiable by a belt, right? A belt is skill and time somehow addressed by your professor. Some schools, it's, you know, 72 uh, days that you showed up, you get a strike or mm-hmm. whatever it is. You know, there's like, there's a very set standard. Uh, some professors never give a stripe. They only give a belt, belt and they only do it whenever they feel like their, their uh, student is ready. And I'm a combination of the two. I want to make sure that you understand that you're progressing, but I'm not a fast promoter. I don't mm-hmm. feel like that benefits you. Um, if you were a phenom and you're winning as a blue belt against black belts, my, my guess would be I could understand the idea of promoting you to a black belt because you have, you've proven that you can beat a black belt. But I don't think that that means that you learned all the things that you have to learn, right? Did it mean that you learned how to teach? Uh, did it l- mean that you learned some humility? Uh, did it mean that you learned how to handle your emotions and aggression? So if you didn't learn those things, I still would be very leery about promoting anybody and every step of the way. Uh, if you get two white belts, they're very aggressive guys, strong guys, used to, uh, maybe they're both ex-wrestlers as a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. And they go and they're getting good at jujitsu, but they, they fight angry, right? I wouldn't want you to be promoted without you understanding, oh, well, there's another way for us to handle this. And I can be a little bit more joyful in the experience, right? So my job would be to pull you aside, have a conversation with you and get you to address how you're dealing with these interactions. If you're just the guy that's smashing everybody, you have to like, you have to find something. And then at Blue Belt, you're, you're compiling data. You're getting all of these moves. You're learning moves. You're on YouTube at midnight. <laughs> hey, man, what's the buggy whip? I'm going to go figure that out, right? And then you're going to try the buggy whip, and maybe it's successful, maybe it's not. But that's the compiling area. And even at Purple Belt, you're still compiling. But then at a certain point, now you start offloading moves and things you start paring down what mm. you do and you get more specific. And then at Brown, again, it's still polishing and cleaning up all of those things that you kept. But then you're also learning leadership in a room. And I don't think that it goes without saying that that's hard. Like, how can you be the person that people trust to help you? And how can you be the person that people look up to? And not just because you're good at jujitsu but because you help them as a person. And then can you teach a group of people who fundamentally do not understand what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm, That's another mm -hmm. process. So there's all of these steps along the way that you have to make, you have to excel as a human to be able to make that next step. So the belt isn't the biggest thing. So if you focus on the belt, you might be missing the most important thing and that might be what's holding you back. So if Mm. if it was me trying to explain belts, White is a basic understanding of jujitsu, just basics. Where mm-hmm. does my body go? What do I do? When do I move? When do I not move? And I think at white belt, you should be focusing heavily on defense. Mm. At blue, you should start to think about offense and you should start to think about moves and start compiling moves, start to build this suite of attack systems that you can use 
that mm-hmm. purple, you should start paring down to the things that are best for your body style and your technique. That brown, you should start polishing and cleaning, learning how to teach and being a mentor. And then obviously at black, now you can actually really begin to learn jujitsu. And that's the beginning. Wow. So at black really is the beginning of um, beginning of the journey. It's not even the end. All the other stuff has to be plugged in to be able to actually learn jujitsu. So mm-hmm. I don't think most people, when they begin, think of it that way. But mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a very true statement that when you're really going to learn jujitsu is not until way down the line. You may learn things, but not really having all the tools to put it all together to make this cohesive, unitized theory of what I do, why I do it, and how I do it. You need a lot of tools to get there. And that's why it takes 10 years or 15 Uh and sometimes 20 because, you know, we're not all going to grow at the same pace and we're not all going to have the same experience. Wow. At Black Belt, you start your journey. Um, I was interviewing uh, a professor at Café. and he told me something so similar uh, that what you just said, like it just made some, I just made some connections. He called jujitsu an infinite martial art. Uh, he's very right. Yeah. Uh-huh. An infinite martial art. Wow. That's, a, that's such a great and if you shift also, in mindset. Uh-huh. And if you also think about, you know, jujitsu in the 90s was one thing. In the mm-hmm. 80s, it was another thing. In the early aughts, it was one thing. But it's not the same thing. You go back and you watch the Mundials from 95 and you watch the jujitsu. It doesn't look much like what we're experiencing now, right? The origin, mostly gi and then no gi and then no gi techniques. There's these branches of the inversion game and the whole 10th planet system. All of this is bled into a completely new thing. So no matter what you do, when you were a blue belt, it won't be the same as it is today. Mm-hmm. And in another 10 years, the game that we're looking at today probably won't look the same. Mm-hmm. There'll be different pieces. And I've seen this big arc. Um, I, I have a very controlling, progressive, strong pressure tension game. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm watching this cycle go from a very, you know, worm guard inversion game to coming and cycling back to watching Gordon Ryan playing a very similar game to my game mm-hmm. and seeing this arc. But what I could say is it'll go back again. Something else will take over and people uh-huh. will do that. So it's always these new things. So whatever you learned, it's only applicable to your current game and the current standard of the game. But it'll change. And if you don't change, you'll be missing something important. So I agree 100% with him. It's an infinite game. It never stops. It'll always change. And if you don't change, you run the risk of having a, a too simplistic and old school game that isn't necessarily applicable to all the things that are happening. So if you mm-hmm. can't go inside De La Hiva and you can't play mm-hmm. that game um, and everybody realizes it, well, they'll start mm-hmm. crop capitalizing on that position. Wow. Wow. Dang. Those are some crazy mindset shifts that you just gave me here, Professor Doyle. And um, yeah, you explained it further because when he was um, uh, telling me about uh, it being an infinite martial art, I knew what he was talking about. But now I'm seeing that you're talking about really even jujitsu is such a natural, um, it's such a natural martial art. It, it evolves and becomes like these like different, like these like um, different things. And like it has its cycles and it optimizes for the best, uh, for the best game. It optimizes for the whole in a sense. Wow. Um, and if you go back and look, you can find, you know, obviously hmm. jujitsu is an outgrowth of, Chinese and Japanese martial arts, right? Mm -hmm. During the feudal times, they start developing these arts because they aren't allowed to carry a weapon, right? Mm -hmm. And then then the advent of, then some of them carry weapons and certain martial arts breed up or grow out of that. 
but the actual physical hand-to-hand. You can go back and you can look at some old scroll paintings of open guard players in a Mm -hmm. kimono with a foot on the bicep and they've got grips. And Mm -hmm. you just think, well, man, this has been around for a really long time, but constantly being cleaned up, paired up, changed, uh, modified, go in a new direction, go back to an old direction. It just keeps, it's infinite, as your friend said. I see, I see. Um, so that's it makes it so unique to um, other martial arts. Uh, I, I see now uh, why it takes you know 10 to 15 to 20 years uh, to get your black belt in jiu-jitsu compared to other martial arts where it takes you know four to five years to uh, quote unquote master the martial art. Right. Yeah, I mean that's one of those things. Uh, when my kids were in school, one of their friends was a Taekwondo black belt. Mm-hmm. He was like 13, right? And mm-hmm. he gave my kids so much bother about oh, your yellow belt, you know, and he felt, you know, justifiably very proud of his position and his ranking. But like, I think, you know, you're not even allowed really to begin your journey until 16 with a colored belt, your standard adult color belts. Um, so if you're a green belt, you turn 16, you know, now you're a blue belt, you know, mm-hmm. top of the heap back down to the bottom. Right. <laughs> and Um, so as you think about that, what I could say is that any upper belt, big guy, little guy, um, sport jujitsu, uh, more combat jujitsu, whatever it is that you're talking about, those people practice every day, a human interaction, actual real physical interaction with another person. And they're actually able to defend themselves. Whereas if I'm a Taekwondo 13 year old and I can kick a Mm. balloon, Mm. it's not real. This is real. And that's the one thing I've taken, even like in a situation, like we're talking about judo, I may be able to get a good judo throw and roll through, but a street fighter puts me on my back and then starts punching me in the face. That's not what I, that's Mm. not what I need to do. Right. This is one of those real practical arts. And that's why I think it's infinite because it's practical. It's a real another person really trying to, to negate all of the things you're trying to do. And they're doing them in ways you're not expecting. They may be physically stronger, physically faster, more adroit, better athlete. But if you learn this and you keep learning and you keep learning, you can stop the average person from enforcing their physical will upon you. And that means you swing, take the back, but all of that stuff is just predicated on hours and hours and hours of experience against somebody who's trying to, you know, for lack of a better word, do you harm. They're trying mm-hmm. to put you in a manipulate your body in such a way that it's either painful or you lose consciousness. So if you're mm-hmm. practiced every day, that's a real martial art. Whereas kicking balloons and no disrespect to the, to the world out there that's Taekwondo enthusiasts, because I think that mm-hmm. there's definitely a place and there's certainly tough guys. Just it's an art unto itself. But mm-hmm. the regular outlay, I don't think that you should, I don't think you can master something in four years. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you can master anything in four years. I mean, you can't master chess in four years. You can't master calligraphy in four years. There's a mastership is, what do they say, 10,000 hours? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. So if you just take book- that and. Yeah, there's a book uh, uh, that um, I, I believe his name is Max Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Malcolm and Gladwell. He, yeah, and he wrote that book, uh, Outliers. Yep. Uh, you, it's, it seems like you, you, you read that book. I'm familiar <laughs> with him, yes. Yeah, so he, talk, he actually talks about the 10,000 hour rule. And uh, the thing that, the thing that um, differentiates a, um, like a prof- an expert, a professional, um, even in any in any sort of uh, art, uh, whether it be uh, in, you know, if you're a violinist or a pianist or you're doing um, uh, a certain trade or uh, whatever, and getting that specific knowledge, it takes about ten thousand hours, and that equates to about ten years uh, and four hours uh, per day of uh, work. Right. So it almost it mirrors uh, what right. the promotion for black belts. Right. Yeah. Yep. So that's so that's so interesting that uh, and it's very backed up by he he did a lot of us. Uh, stu- he found a lot of studies and really backed up by science. So, yep. um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty uh, crazy how those mirror uh, those two mirrors. 
And going back, uh, Professor, to uh, the journey um, um, within jiu-jitsu, a lot of people get stuck in uh, blue belt and they call it blue belt blues. Why, why do you think mm -hmm. that happens? Like what, what's, the, what's the big transition that happens to get promoted so, to purple belt? Yeah. So you remember we talked about that idea that, mm -hmm. I, that, I, that I try to keep people from feeling of like, you've reached a finish line at blue. Like mm -hmm. if I just get my blue belt, I will finally be in the upper tier, right? Mm. But nothing has changed. It's, you know, it's two inches around your waist and a <laughs> color. That's it. Nothing has changed. You're the same guy you were before the promotion, and you were the same girl that you were before the promotion. Really, the thing that, that I see happen over and over is you get your blue belt, you have an expectation that things will have changed, and they haven't changed. And then as you struggle and you try to do things more technically, but it's hard. And then it's mm -hmm. failure and failure compounded by failure because you're trying hard. Maybe you try to muscle more. Maybe you try to go faster. Maybe you try to take little shortcuts and it creates more failure and failure is uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. I've seen it over and over again, where at blue, you have to stop rolling like a blue or a white belt you have to mm. start rolling and emulating purples and browns but that transitions mm. is a difficult it's a difficult transition because it's not the same thing you know if you go if you go to the pans and you watch the white belts and then you stay till the evening and the black belts are going i mm. sometimes even feel bored watching the black belts because there's not that much <laughs> going on physically that you can look at and go oh wow 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 unless you're a pretty high level player to be able to understand, oh man, this grip game right now is super critical. Like if, if he gets that grip, it's over. Or if he can't control that grip, it's over. But the white belts mm -hmm. are exciting and this, and it's all like two cats in a bag. Mm -hmm. But that is relying on speed and power and luck, right? That's not what we're learning how to do. And not that it's bad because you have to go through that process. But if you weren't able to transition to blue progressively and understand that it's purely a change but it's not the color of your belt it's the way you perceive what your goal set is so if my goal set mm -hmm. is to to get on top of you and rip an americana and i win and i think that that was the goal i'll be happy with it mm -hmm. but if i think if i can trick you into doing something and if mm -hmm. i can trick you into extending your arm and then bending your arm and then i have an americana waiting for me that's what you should be learning and so if you're a blue and you weren't able to transition i think that it's a situation where it fails you're sad or mad or unhappy mm -hmm. with the result and if you can't like really focus in on why and how to change it i think a lot of people get stuck there they feel like oh, i should be getting i'm i'm years into this and I still suck. Why? <laughs> right? This doesn't feel good. And then if you can't have a mentor help you through that process to really direct your energies and it fails and it fails, I, I just see that as being the thing that, you know, and the, I, I would say maybe the other thing is just human beings. Um, I think a lot of people have a couple of years effort in them, but I don't think mm -hmm. everybody has 10 years in it. Right. Uh -huh. So, I think a lot of people also get to that situation where they're a couple of years into it. It's not going perfect. They're not exactly where they thought they'd be. And they're also losing steam, right? Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. just, to be able to just do it over and over and over and over again and fail, right? That's a hard situation. Mm -hmm. So I think you take those two pieces and when you want to identify what would be blue belt blues, that's what it is. Yeah. It's those two things together. I see. Um, it's recognizing, um, it's shifting your, your mindset towards failure. So there's a, um, there's a mantra that we um, always uh, talk about um, in like marketing and all those things uh, when you're testing out ads and, and uh, whatnot to fail fast. So mm -hmm. make so many iterations, like you need to see what doesn't work in order right. for you to know exactly what uh you know what what campaign works what headline works and things like this but it's um fail fast and the motto is the one who the people who failed the fastest 
uh, the, the ones that have the ones that have um, faster cycles of failure usually have the better the best progressions. So that's very um, again, it's another mirroring towards uh, other things. Um, right. So yeah, that's um, this is you know, like because I'm a top heavy uh, guard passer. That's my game. Mm. And at a certain point, I decided I'm going to get good at spider guard, and mm. I was horrible at it. I was horrible for a long time. And I usually try to have the conversation with my students. It's like when I got grips and opened up my guard, I got passed and I got passed and I got passed and I couldn't even stop them. They would run by like I was, you know, made out of cement. And mm. I spent a solid year losing my guard because I was trying to get good at something that didn't innately come good to me. But mm. once I figured it out and I first, I could get grips. In the beginning, maybe I couldn't even get grips. Maybe I'd just blow everything and everything would go away. And then for 10 or 15 seconds, I could hold guard. And then for maybe 20 or 30 seconds, I could hold guard. And then I could, I could unbalance you, but you'd still pass my guard. But it was this long progression until at some point, probably close to a year into it, where I could, I could reliably keep you outside of my guard. I could, I could mm. control the distance. And if I wanted to create distance, I could do it. If I wanted to close distance, and if I wanted to change my angle, I could do it. And once I got there, it actually made my guard passing better because if I got swept, oh, I didn't mm -hmm. care because I knew that there was a game on the bottom that I was good mm -hmm. at too, right? But I see. to dedicate yourself to a year of dismal failure and humiliation, it's a drag. It's not much fun. And your fingers hurt, mm. you know, you get your guard passed, your feelings get hurt and over and over and over. And luckily I was able to be around some people who could feed me hints, teach me moves, mm -hmm. take some privates, clean up little pieces and just really focus my energy. And so, you know, during that time we'd slap hands, bump fists and I'd roll back, mm -hmm. never guard passing, purely playing guard. And if, if I didn't, I would have a different game and maybe it wouldn't be as good, maybe it would be different, but it took a real intensive effort to open my guard and to play guard. And I don't mean fight guard, I mean play guard. Because once I learned that guard is not, it's not home runs, right? Mm -hmm. Guard is bunting and it's getting on first and advancing a runner to second. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a single into right field that advances your runner to third base. Once I thought about mm. it like that, guard is never home runs. Guard, if I'm focused purely on the sweep, the sweep often gets defeated. But if I'm focused purely on guard, the maintaining and, and interacting with you in such a way that I can create the space I want, I can create the angle I want, I can close the space that I want. Once I could mm -hmm. do those things and I thought about it that way, it all became more uh, doable as opposed to I'm going to open up my garden. I'm going to get a sweep. But if I did mm -hmm. one thing and I failed, I had nothing left. But if I maintained guard as my primary goal and those things became available and I could try, fail, go back to guard, try, fail, go back to guard, mm -hmm. then my open guard became what is really an open guard. It's a position mm. of keeping your opponent in front of you, maintaining them in your guard, and continually unbalancing them, taking away their balance, moving them, shifting their angle, bringing them closer to you, moving them further away, and making your attacks on that. But if it fails, cool. I don't care. Go back. Go back to guard. So that's how I had to really think about changing the way I thought about it. And when I did, it became something I could do. And over the process of maybe 12 months is where I really began to go, okay, I understand this a little bit now. I'm mm -hmm. beginning to have some clarity of thought. Because when I first did it, I thought, open up, grab some sleeves, start shoving on the leg, mm -hmm. yank my partner over. That's not really guard, though. That's a sweep. And I could maybe maybe win it sometimes. But if anybody knew jujitsu and they were able to beat me, I had no guard left. But if I just focused on guard in and of itself, the game the game became easier and it was something that I was playing as opposed to mm -hmm. doing a home run. Right. 
Yeah. The mind, uh, the, the mindset or the frame of mind that uh, you continually talk about for here, uh, professor is um, always having a objective, a purpose to the actions that you are doing uh, with this whole conversation that we've been, that we've been uh, having. That's been a recurring theme is just what, what is the objective here? Like, what are we even doing this for? Right. And it seems that that focuses you exactly on the right thing to focus on in order for you to achieve that uh, certain goal. And um, it seems that, yeah, it's lack of clarity usually is the downfall of uh, not, not just uh, in jujitsu, but like in everyday life. Um, in, in what you're talking about here, uh, you doing a guard, developing your guard game for 12 months, it seems like you're able to get a perspective of uh, the perspective of the guard player that probably improved your uh, guard passing skills a whole lot too, hey? For sure, <laughs> right. And so not only does it clue you into the mechanics of passing, but again, like I said, if I'm passing and I want to be aggressive in my pass and I know that there's a possibility I'm giving up my back or I'm going to get swept, if I've really worked on back defense and if I've really worked on guard, neither one of those is the end of the world. So I can be a little bit more aggressive and I can tip my hat a little bit and say, all right, well, I'm flirting with a little bit of disaster, but I have something over here to do too. And so I will. And you can watch that at high level jujitsu. You know, Gordon Ryan was, you know, he was just the other day in a situation where he's showing his back a little bit and he's, he's, and Pena could have turned for back control a couple of times. Mm -hmm. He played the game smart enough that he could, he could get there because he knew he gets mm -hmm. on the bottom. Cool, man. I can get up. And it's not the mm -hmm. end of the world, but you have to work at all these different facets of your game to be able to have that mindset. So you can't be unidimensional. If you're a smash and pass guy, where you get on your back and you have nothing, it makes you never want to make mistakes. And that means that you're not going to extend yourself. If you're afraid to make a mistake, you're not going to extend yourself because, oh man, I can't go this way. I'm just going to drop and smash okay well that's one answer but it's not the only answer and you probably should have more than one answer <laughs> yeah definitely um regarding competitions professor a lot of a lot, a lot of uh people who start uh they always uh, wanna are almost interested always interested in getting into competitions but are very nervous to uh go in there uh what was your first competition like uh, how did you feel how did you uh, yeah how did you feel um i was very nervous and I really didn't want to lose. Right. Mm. I had my own ego packed into this thing of, I did not want to lose. And, um, and it was very nerve wracking, like, mm -hmm. and all the way to pans and worlds, it's super nerve wracking. It's no fun. Like for me, I know people that claim that it's this wonderful, fun experience and they just love it. But, I can't get my mind wrapped around that. So hopefully it really is that for them, but it's not for me. Mm. Um, it's nerve wracking. As soon as I step out onto the mat and the referee gets us ready to go, then it settles down. Then it's just something that I'm familiar with. But if you're a white belt, you're not familiar there. So then it's all unfamiliar, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea of competing, you know, I think that there's some things that you should think about. If you think, all right, well, I'm a white belt and I'd like to compete. I think you should. I think it's important. But if your goal is to go win, like my dummy head told me it was, um, it's a mistake. But if I go with the idea of this is a process like any other process. So I'm going to learn to manage my emotions. I'm going to learn to manage my power output. I'm going to learn to manage my risk and I'm going to learn to find a way to capitalize on mistakes. So if I approach, mm -hmm. if I approach competing like that and I go out and I step on the mat and I lose, but I got a little bit more information and then I compete again, I get a little bit more information and I'm on the same path that we've been talking about, about accumulating this experiences and managing myself. Then I think mm -hmm. it's worthwhile. Because even if you went out and you're a white belt and you just tore through the other white belts, but you weren't able to take in that information, 
um, at a certain point in competing, you will have to manage those things. Those things are important things to manage. As your competition gets better, you'll have to learn how to manage your emotions. You're going to have to learn how to manage your energy output. You're going to have to learn how to manage capitalizing on your opponent's mistakes. So when I talk to my students about competing, I try to steer them towards this is the first step in a bunch of experiences that will help you learn how to do that. And I think you should compete early and then often. If you're a 25-year-old who used to be an athlete and you compete once, I think you've missed an opportunity. But if you compete 10 or 12 times, all of a sudden, the nerves aren't as bad. You're able to see things clearly uh, in real time because you know the experience. You get on the mat, you slap hands, the intensity is so high. It's not replicatable in the gym. Mm -hmm. You're out of breath within 30 seconds because of the adrenaline dump. Hmm. And hmm. you you can't think anymore. Any move that you thought, well, I want to do it, maybe you're just so tired you can't do it. So then what do you do? And that's part of that management of, of your emotions, management of your energy expenditure, and then capitalizing on the mistake as opposed to, you know, seeing it happen, the mistake happens, and you think, oh man, I should have done that. Well, the better you get, the more able you'll do to do those things. And then, you know, there's a piece of it that plays into real life in an emergency situation where you had to defend mm -hmm. yourself. But then it also is for in the gym. You, you're, you're also learning, all right, well, when I'm training and I'm really tired, I should be working on these things that are hard to do because that's when it's hard to do. When you're fresh and there's mm -hmm. something hard to do, well, you could probably do it. But when you're really tired and it's the last round of the night, <laughs> then you should maybe work on the really hard things, technically difficult, but also strong it's hard so if you could do that and use use competing to do that but if you're a white belt and you're trying to make the decision should i compete should i not you should but manage your expectations what are you trying to get out of it if you're trying to get a medal out of it um you could probably be better well served to go on ebay and buy yourself a medal because it'd be <laughs> about two dollars right but if you go with the expectation of i'm starting to compile this information and experience, that's when I think it's beneficial. But nobody had that mm -hmm. conversation with me. So I went out and just tried to win, right? And mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. think that that was the best thing. Because, you know, of course I want to go win, but I didn't really have the right mindset yet. It took me a while. Mm -hmm. I see. Managing your expectations uh, with competing uh, seems like the largest part in that. Wow. So seeing it as an opportunity to manage your emotions, to uh, to learn something, and to actually have a uh, a tangible goal and uh, an actual goal in mind, instead of uh, seeing it as just a you know as a belt or as a medal, that is another shift <laughs> that I'm. You know, and yeah. I talk to people all the time. You know, like if you're a white belt, um, and you're on your back, person's got top side right, uh -huh. and your coach is in the corner telling you to do things. Are you even able to hear him? Does it make uh -huh. sense to you? Could you react to what he's telling you? That's a skill in and of itself. Under pressure, can you follow direction? Can you even understand? He's saying, get the underhook. But meanwhile, you're digging the wrong side underhook. Like all of these things become really important mm. under pressure, right? And those are really critical things to be able to do. But we don't have any training for that. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no way to replicate it. You have mm -hmm. to experience it to be able to do it. So, but... It's all a piece of this big puzzle. And the other thing is, if you're, if you're uh, a grown man or a grown woman, the idea of stepping onto a mat and laying it out there, like I think most human beings feel like there's somebody over there and I could take them if I needed to. <laughs> but now you're going to have to actually prove it. And when you can't, it hurts your soul, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have the expectation, and this is the beginning of me learning how to do that, and then you continually grow and get better at it, and get better at it, and then you can do it when you have to, that's the lesson, I think. So if you think wow. about it that way, I think, it's a, mm -hmm. I think it's a positive thing. But I think that I have seen a lot of people go out, go, get decimated when they did not think they were going to get decimated, and then they drift off, and we lose them from jujitsu. So I think mm. we're doing a lot of people a disservice by saying, go compete. 
go compete. It's good for you. And then they go compete and they're like, that was not good for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, uh this, that felt awful. And I, you know, sat in my car and cried, <laughs> right. Like, that's, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, I've seen, I've seen people have that reaction and it's not positive. So if we can, if we can find a way to mentor our students and mentor these people that are just getting into this, have them have the right expectations and help lead them through the experience. I think that that's our job. Yeah. Wow. I'm learning so much in this uh, conversation here. Thank you so much. Um, uh, do you think then anybody can start doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Yeah, uh, anybody can. Um, if you're fat, go do Jiu Jitsu. If you're mm -hmm. skinny and weak, go do Jiu Jitsu. If mm -hmm. you're, um, if you're, if you have a lack of self confidence, go do Jiu Jitsu. If you are overconfident, go do Jiu Jitsu. Mm -hmm. It's for everyone. It's not. And like we talked about, maybe you'll need to pick a gym that matches you, right? You may, you may find your local gym and it may be a room full of killers, but it may not be a match for you. So mm -hmm. just because they make killers doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right spot for you. But if you can find a place that, like when I talk to people about picking a gym, I always try to say, go to the gym and look around. And is there a fellowship? Is there a happiness in the room, right? Mm. I've been to plenty of places where it's very hard nose competition training. Everybody's got a fierce face on, but that's not, that's not necessarily for everyone. It may be for me, maybe okay, but it may not be for them, but they would miss out on something important. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that, that there's a, that there's any person out there that jujitsu and physical training and intellectually training is not good for. I think it's good for everybody. But I think that there are certain gyms that might not be a match for you. So don't don't make one decision and make that the absolute decision, right? There may be people who are kinder, uh, gentler, help proctor you along. There may be two teams in that room, the fun, happy group, and then the competition team. There may be no competition team and it may be just all family and it may be cool and maybe that's for you, but search out a place that matches you. And mm -hmm. just because you go to one gym, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where you should be. Where's a happy environment with friendly human beings and there's, and there's a comradeship there, right? I want mm -hmm. a place for my, for my happiness to be able to grow there right? If it's all just intense and only that, that might not be the right place for me. I want to be able mm -hmm. to build a brotherhood, brother and sisterhood, where we all are growing together and we're going through this experience together and mm -hmm. we become friends and we go through and we literally bleed and we literally sweat and we literally cry. And mm -hmm. that brotherhood is one that's harder for people to understand why that would be important. But when you have a shared experience like that, it's not replicatable. Uh, if we all play, if we all play uh, gin rummy on Saturdays, we may be friends, mm -hmm. but we're not suffering together. And the suffering mm -hmm. together builds relationships that are strong. And those relationships, mm -hmm. I think, are what keep you coming back. You know, mm -hmm. that's what keeps you in the game. But it shouldn't be all blood and sweat and tears. Mm -hmm. It should also be happiness and joy and the experience of growing together. So I think it's, it's both sides. I don't think it's one or the other. And if you find places only one, maybe that's not the spot for you, but you may be a very hard nosed guy and that is the spot for you. So every individual is an individual, find some place that matches you. Well, that answers my uh, next question, professor, which was, uh, what would be the advice for someone to, uh, who's thinking about, who's just, you know, like thinking about uh, doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and just needs that little push but that's a, that's already a really, really good advice. <laughs> well, what I would say too, um, as I welcome people into the gym on their very first day, there's a range of, of experiences for these people. They walk through the door. It's, it's, it creates fear in people. It creates anxiety mm -hmm. in people. It's a little overwhelming. I've seen people be very fearful. And if you go to the right place, they will help you they will take away the fear and i always tell people if i have a woman that weighs 110 pounds and they're fearful and i can tell 
Mm-hmm. I make it my business to tell them, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure that you're safe. And I do. Mm-hmm. I follow them. I make sure that whoever I pair them with is going to be kind to them. And make sure that their mm-hmm. first experience is one where they feel safe. And they feel like they're not just going to get their arm ripped off. right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's an intimidating situation to walk into a bunch of, room, of people in a room where it's physical violence and mm-hmm. and physical torture, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. That's what you're getting. So I make it my business to start them slow. Tell them, I will protect you. I guarantee you that you'll be safe. And then we start from there. And then, of course, time goes by, get more at ease. And it could be a young man. It could be an older man. It could be somebody who's physically way out of shape. And, you know, I mean, it's very hard their first day just to do a break fall and a hip escape. Uh, I mean, not that it's impossible, but it's pretty close to impossible because you just don't know how to fall. So all by itself, just to say, oh, well, we're going to do hip escapes. And this 50-year-old man who's got a big giant belly and is 100 pounds overweight, well, that's a real real struggle. And not only is it Mm. a physical struggle, it's also embarrassing, right? Mm. So you got to take care of that person. You make sure that you like, Hey man, this is your first step. If we keep you stepping, you're going to be where you want to be. We can help you. But that's an important thing. So again, find a school that is going to care for you, right? I don't think I don't want a school where it's all peace and love and harmony. It mm. should be other things too, but it should start there, right? Mm. It should have its basis in caring for each other and caring for the new people. Because like any any sport, it doesn't matter what it is. It's a pyramid, right? Baseball. The people at the very top, professional baseball players, and they're making millions of dollars a year. But professional baseball doesn't pay for baseball. It's the person that's eight and plays little league. And it's the person mm-hmm. that went to college and now the NCAA, right? The pyramid, the very people that are great at the top, they're up here. They don't pay for the sport. It's all the people down here that pay for the sport. So if we take care of these people, the sport continues to grow and flourish. And some of them will rise up to here, but most of them are going to stay down here. So if you take care of these people and make it an experience that's worth having, they'll keep coming back. But if you just kick them out, kick them out, and you only want elite level people, that pyramid gets very small. And even at that elite level, somebody has to be at the bottom of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Professor, tell me, what was the most memorable moment so far ever since practicing BJJ? So I was, I was actually thinking about this last week. I was sitting mm-hmm. there. Um, I learned from people and I took the move that they taught me. I very so gently changed it to suit me. Mm-hmm. And I developed my own style, right? So whatever moves, I took hundreds and hundreds of moves and positions, and I took them in, I tweaked them, I did slight variations to make them work for my game and myself. And I think the weirdest, craziest thing is to be in a room with a bunch of people who are doing what you taught them the way that you taught them. So you spend mm-hmm. your whole life looking out and seeing other people doing mm-hmm. all kinds of different moves. Mm-hmm. But I was watching a video of my oldest son who's on the East Coast doing jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And his game looked so similar. <laughs> or I had a room full of kids all sitting up to hit a kimura to a straight arm lock to a sweep. And it's my mm-hmm. move. And to watch 30 children all executing my move. It's the weirdest thing because Mm -hmm. it's very, it's very personal, right? Your move is something that you've perfected for yourself. And then you teach it to other people. And then to see other people do your variation on all of these other people, it's, it's Mm -hmm. always growing. And this goes back to your friend's statement. It's infinite because I'll teach it to them, Mm -hmm. but they're going to change it. And someday, Mm -hmm. hopefully some of them will teach it to somebody else and it won't be what I taught them. It'll be something Mm -hmm. different. And I think that's cool. So what do I take away? What's the coolest thing? That's the coolest thing. Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing, Professor. It's a pretty cool thing. 
Um, and la lastly here, uh, to new to new white belts, what is your advice to new white belts? Commit yourself to the to the experience of learning wholly. So mm -hmm. if you just said to yourself as a brand new white belt, as I walk through the door, I'm going to try to shed all of my expectations. I'm going to try to shed all of my uh, preconceived notions about this experience. And if I come in and if I learned two plus two equals four, and if I'm able to follow that series of equations through to a finality, I was successful. Maybe I didn't mm -hmm. win, but if I could do that, and if I came in the next day, and the next day, and the next day, but my commitment was wholly focused on learning. Mm -hmm. If you stay for 10 years, even if you don't make black belt, even if you don't get to purple belt, you will mm -hmm. have been on the right path the whole way because of your commitment to learning, right? Mm -hmm. So to help focus you as a white belt, if you are wholly focused on learning, you're gonna have a better experience overall. So you'll get better at jujitsu and you're in the right frame of mind to learn because you're there to learn. But if you're there just to get the tap, you might've missed a lot of stuff along the way. So that's mm -hmm. my encouragement to all white belts to, yeah, I know that you want to win the round. I know you want to tap your opponent. I do too. We all are the same. But if you commit yourself to the experience of learning, then you're there for the right reason. And if you are, and you learn, and you achieve, and you master it, you'll get your subs. Wow. All right, Professor. Thank you so much. That was great. Um, and where can, uh, where, where can people uh, find you? Or We're in Southgate, yeah, California. Yeah, you can find us on the internet, Southgate, California, the wolvesdenbjj.com. We'll be happy to hear from you if you guys are out there. You guys are welcome to drop by anytime. Come say hello. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Okay, guys. So that wraps up podcast number three. If you enjoyed this podcast and inspired you to keep training or start training, make sure you like, subscribe, um, and share so that you don't miss out on another story of individuals who do jujitsu. And Professor Doyal, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, coming in. Those are great stories. I learned a whole lot and I hope everybody here learned uh, a lot as well from um, everything that um, you said today. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you on the mats. Peace.